Aussie Tech Heads is brought to you by startnewcompany.com.au. Register your company fast, easy, and direct with ASIC. All documentation is provided and held in your account for downloading at any time. If you're an accountant or other professional, you're also able to brand all documents with your company name. Coming soon, ABN, TFN, and Trusts. Special discount for ATH listeners. At the cart, use ATH20 for a $20 discount. And athwebhosting.com.au. Servers operate on SSD drives, immediate activation, SSL certificates, Aussie support, domain registration, and easy install of WordPress, Joomla, and Drupal. Welcome to episode 667 of the Aussie Tech Heads, recorded on the 20th of February, 2020. Hey, what happened for last week? <laughs> I don't remember being here for that. Some of you I'm your host, Jason Oakley, and this is my co-host, Will Tompkinson. <laughs> hey, Will. Hey, mate. How are you? <laughs> Some of you was here last week, even though you weren't aware of it. I missed the evil episode <laughs> six, six, six. That was the one you'd been watching and wanting to hang out for too. Yeah. <coughs> Happy birthday to Glennie Goodman. Woo! Yeah, you just hang in there, buddy. We'll just, you know, we'll just do all the work for you. It's fine. Twenty-one again. Twenty-one again. <laughs> oh, the twenty-one plus. He'll be celebrating in his empty office, no doubt. <laughs> Yeah, the echoey office with nothing in it. Yeah. <coughs> Has uh, he said he's got any further along with re- resetting everything up again? Uh, as far as I know, they're supposed to... I know he was having some contractors in this week to... Before they could put the carpet and stuff down, they had to like put another drain in or something. I can't remember exactly. But yeah, it's, it's not just a simple re- redo. It's actually quite a big operation. Ah, so um, hopefully this will stop it flooding yard, again so much. Like the front, his front yard comes down like that. His backyard backs onto the water, but the actual yard part sort of slopes in towards the house. So basically, uh, the house is the lowest point of the property. That's that's probably not a good <laughs> idea, so, right? You know, that, that's exactly how you want your, your your block developed. So who the heck came up with that? Design? Well, it probably was, and it is Gold Coast. When it was made, the house was eighteen foot above the ground level. Slowly <laughs> sinks down. <laughs> Just like out Red Bank Way with all well, the mines and everything. Yeah, there's a place out here called uh, Brookwater. Uh, it's one of those exclusive estates on the golf course. Um, we call it Sinkwater because I swear <laughs> every time you drive past, the houses are just that little bit lower than they were last time we went past. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, dear. I took your advice. I got one of those cables. No, you took with... most of my advice. What, you, you get the <laughs> magnetic plug yeah. and then you plug the thing in yeah. and then you get pretty colors Ooh, <laughs> or you you, you buy the rectangle ones with the rectangle connectors and you don't you get pretty colors that don't keep you awake overnight <laughs> this is this like one of these cables <clears throat> is for my car while i'm driving <laughs> so you can imagine driving at 10 o'clock at night with these flashy led cables yep that's why I went thing. the the rectangle ones because I couldn't find any round. I actually wanted the round connector because in theory they're a better connector because they'll spin and pivot. But yeah. I couldn't find any of the round connectors that didn't have LED cables. So I went for the rectangle ones, which gives me yeah. an option of um, 300 or well, 30 centimeter, 1 meter, 2 meter and 3 meter cables. Oh, yeah. um, and you don't think you use a 3 meter cable until you've actually used some and then they're the best things in the world. 
I've got two meter for these ones, so at least I can lie in bed without having yeah, to hold it over is. the edge of the bed and like. Well, it's the same oh, with yeah, the three that's what's ones. happening on Twitter today. You can like plug it into a PowerPoint in the lounge room and be sitting on the lounge with it, you know, like. Yeah. They're great. <laughs> I've got a couple of thirty centimeter ones in the cars. You know, I think I bought um, six or eight cables all up. I had yeah. like one for each phone, but then there's like two in the bedroom, two in the computer room, two in the lounge room. There's two in the oh, car no. and there's two at work. So no matter where we go, we've got a charge cable now where we don't have to pull the dongle thing out. In case people haven't seen it, that's the little plug. Yeah. Tiny, tiny little plug that stays in your phone at all times. You never pull it out. And that's it magnetic. Yeah, it's the same as the, the square ones. they got like so, rare earth magnets or something. They're really strong. Uh, one you just I'll... touch it. And the other good reason after I thought after you telling me about these things is my mum is in a nursing home and she's got the shakes. Yep. And whenever she's, she's got a couple of Kindles, but when she tries to plug the cable in, her hand goes like this and it wrecks the socket. So now I got her one of these. She can just put the cable up there, it just touches it and it starts charging and then yep. she can just pull it apart. Don't have to worry about, and the, the nurses at the hospital don't know what phones are either. So they're <laughs> jamming the thing in because she's got micro USB. It only goes one way, but yep. they try it both ways of course and yep. that screws up the socket so now she's got one that stays in there all the time and the cable is the other one was like one meter yeah this one's two so it's going to be much better for her and she can just leave it touched on there when she wants it take it off read her books on the kindle and then just clip it and it jumps back on there automatically and the other thing Brilliant. i like about it there is a store like if you have this on your bedside table for example and you've got metal uh knobs on your drawers you can literally, when you get out of bed, you can just attach it to that so then oh, the yeah. cable stays there so you haven't got to go fishing for the cable. So you, you often <laughs> attach cables to your knobs? Uh, as often as I can, really. I mean, <laughs> I suggest everybody do that. I heard some people into that kind of thing. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's not the cable, it's the problem. It's what's running through the cable that gives, that gives you the problems. Gives you a bit of a shrewd awakening, right? Uh... It could help you go to sleep if you do it right. Ah. <laughs> um, Attached to your head. Welcome to Aussie Tech Heads. <laughs> <laughs> is that what this is? I thought I was asleep. Hang on. We've got to do some story or something? Uh, yeah, we, I suppose we probably Don't good. tell me that. I just got mm. back from I know, San right? Francisco. Gallivanting all over the countryside like a Leyland brother. Yeah, went to head office. Uh, Thirteen and a half hours both way, each way on the plane. Yeah, I like, should say, lucky it's not like something you got to do like every second day. <laughs> yeah, I think the last time I went was about four years ago, and it's pretty expensive, so they don't do it too often. But um, I got melatonin. Oh, nice, proper yeah, stuff. Help you sleep. <laughs> you picked a bad time to be flying anywhere, though. Yeah, well, I got back just before the virus hit. Oh man, I tell you. But, but yeah, it was some a nice your, uh, flight. Some of your Facebook posts there on some of the places you went and the businesses you got to I tour. I saw Ubisoft, Cloudflare, TuneIn Radio headquarters. And mm. we walked down the to San Francisco. They had signs up saying uh, all the streets were blocked off with guards and huge trucks. And they had signs saying, please be aware there's going to be low-flying aircraft and simulated gunfire because they were filming The Matrix 4. Mm. Yeah, I, I had heard about that. I've seen a couple of um, 
we didn't see anything happening because it was the first night and they just started setting up but um we're like okay when i see the movie i'm going to remember i walked down this street <laughs> and down that way and yeah went in chinatown and stuff check that out and walked all over i got addicted to the buffalo wings it was just ah so nice that sauce i bought a bottle while i was over there brought it home had some of it the other night my daughter's like this is so delicious i can't believe it but please can i have a little bit less next time because my mouth is on fire but i love it i still didn't know buffaloes had wings yeah right they probably uh drink a can of red bull yeah yeah, dear. So yeah, so there's uh, yeah, a few photos that you sort of went and saw, and like cloud flare. You like the cloud flare messages? Yeah. The join the DDoS can never load too fast. I like the. Um, I've, I've seen the. Um, oh, which one was it? Bad bots be gone movement. I've seen that one a couple <laughs> of times. I quite like that one. Yeah. So although ironically, weren't they the ones who got? DDoS during the oh no that wasn't Cloudflare that was um, Amazon yeah (laughs) all Amazon in their infinite wisdom hilarious right (laughs) so but yeah you know had a good time you um, discovered oh it was good yeah discovered cuisines and I'd um, I went over last time I think it was an A380 not not a terribly good plane but this time I went in a Dreamliner very smooth Nice ride, very nice seats and entertainment system. Rewatched like four Marvel movies going over and two Deadpools coming back. Yeah. So it was some good stuff to watch. Yeah. <sighs> but the, uh... anyway, we should probably do some story now since it's been half an hour since we started. <laughs> eh, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, me and Joe did such a good job last week that people are still probably recovering and not going to watch this episode anyway, so... Right. Well, <laughs> nobody watches it anyway. So. <laughs> we had actually a lot of people watching the live stream last week. It was very good. We had, uh, I mean, say a lot of people, a lot of people for us. There was like yep. 17 people on YouTube and like 20 people on Twitch or something. It was pretty cool. Yeah, we got uh, aggressive sock commander root, oh, 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 star, oh, 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 and Spikey Dan. Welcome to the show. Yeah, that Everybody was. Everybody, uh, don't forget to tune in. Yeah, that's it. We're going to try and do it more and more and more and more, and then it's a bit more. So, Professor Andre Simpson had a problem. The University of Toronto Scarborough campus was paying through the nose for crucial material for its 3D printer. Everybody knows Mr. T and I got into the 3D printing pretty heavily. I need to do a bit more of it. I'm getting mine all set back up again. Got a new... Well, they got these. Have you seen they've been advertising? They got printers now that could do it in like 10 seconds, do a whole thing that take you like half an hour with the current printers. Oh, that's the, the other style printer, yeah. Yeah, That's the um, the resin-based ones. Yeah, uh, but I got. Who would have guessed? Who would have guessed a McDonald's would come to the rescue? Simpson is director of the school's environmental NMR center, dedicated to environmental research. Central to this research is an analytical tool called the NMR spectrometer. NMR stands for nuclear magnetic resonance and is technically similar to how an MRI works for medical diagnostics. Simpson had bought a 3D printer for the lab in 2017. He hoped to use it to build custom parts that kept organisms alive inside of the NMR spectrometer for his research. But the commercial resin he needed for high-quality light projection 3D printing, where light is used to form a solid, of those parts was expensive. The dominant material for light projecting 
printing, projection printing, is liquid plastic, which can cost upward of $500 a litre. He closely analysed the resin and spotted a connection. The molecules making up the commercial plastic resin were similar to fats found in ordinary cooking oil. Yeah, because that's what well, oil's good for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what came next was the hardest part of the two experiment for Simpson and his team of 10 students, getting a large sample batch of used cooking oil. We reached out to all of the fast food restaurants around us. They all said no, except for McDonald's. In the summer of 2017, the students went to McDonald's location near the campus in Toronto, Ontario. They had agreed to give them 10 litres of waste oil. After filtering out chunks of food particles and experimenting with the oil for several months, the team was able to successfully print a high-quality butterfly with details as minute as 100 micrometers in size. The experiment yielded a commercially viable resin that Simpson estimates could be sourced as cheaply as 30 cents a litre of waste oil. Another bonus, it is biodegradable. To test this, he buried a sample butterfly in the soil and found that 20% of it disappeared in a two-week period. The concept of sustainability has been underplayed in 3D printing, said uh, Tim Green, a research director for global research firm IDC, who specializes in the 3D printing market. Melted plastic currently being used as resin is not so good for the environment. Yeah, I mean... The, re- the the plastic currently being used may not be good for the environment, but the oil currently being used is not good, so good for the body. So you know, <laughs> um, better to make a butterfly out of it than uh, yeah, eat it. Basically, the the oil they use is a they call it a vegetable oil. It's a push. It's basically a, a small chain molecule oil. It's it's synthetic effectively. It does have some. It started off life as a vegetable oil, but it's not anymore. Um, so I mean, it's it is a plastic polymer. It's the same as margarine. Margarine literally is is one molecular leap away from plastic, um, and can actually be turned into plastic very easily. And it's the same with this. So it's it's um, not surprising that they've they've done that. Really, it's not that much of a stretch. You can actually use um, if you use a gasifier, you can break plastics down into oil. And reverse the process while generating useful um, substrates. Um, but the oil, the only, my slight concern with that saying the oil is biodegradable it, is a little bit of a push. It's it's the oil itself isn't really it will um, contaminate soil to the point where things won't grow. So whilst a butterfly might somewhat get sucked into the earth, if you <laughs> you spill, there's a reason that stuff needs hazardous material handling license to transport yeah it's not everybody you can't just go and throw a 44 gallon drum in the back of a ute and carry it home it's it's (laughs) it's a a hazardous substance you know so maybe that's why um, the other places wouldn't loan them the waste oil (laughs) well that a lot of the people run uh, people with older cars and depending on where you are and probably in canada actually i know it's very big in canada running older diesel engines on waste oil um it's Queensland buses do. That was a big thing when I was up there. They said all our buses are going to smell like fish and chips. Yeah, that one bus they trialed for a week did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that what happened? Yeah, because what happens is they've got that. See, years ago they got onto the gas, the compressed, the CNC, CNG compressed natural gas bandwagon where you add gas to diesel to increase the efficiency of the diesel, and because gas is cleaner than diesel and problem is that system doesn't work with vegetable oil um so you either have to take 
all the gas systems out of the buses that you just spent millions of dollars retrofitting or you have to not use the vegetable oil. <laughs> so <laughs> didn't work out too well you know they other than the fact they're completely incompatible systems and won't work together that was a great idea they had <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of countries aren't huge in uh england because petrol prices are they will they call them expensive they're still cheaper than here but um and i know it's quite popular in canada and, and a lot of especially a lot of the countries um where it's cold a lot of the time because you're always running oil heaters and diesel heaters and diesel generators and stuff like that. So there's actually a huge demand for for waste oil. Um, so many restaurants actually already give what they've got to people so they don't have to pay to dispose of it. Um, right. And people will, will buy it off. That's probably why, because people will actually buy it from the restaurant. They'll buy waste used oil. Whereas the restaurant has to traditionally pay to get rid of it. So a lot of these restaurants already have people paying for this oil they're not going to give it to somebody when they can actually liquid gold yeah it really is becoming that way you know they're not going to some researcher wants 50 you know 500 liters of it they're not going to give it away when they can charge somebody else to take it away you know yeah <laughs> so i'm surprised mcdonald's did it because i know that uh in australia mcdonald's won't allow that won't allow you to take their oil ah. um because i have tried <laughs> and it's against their company policy yeah, Australian one anyway. Hmm. Like they don't even know what that is. Probably the same <laughs> one. That, same one that says you can't ride a motorbike through the drive-through and be served. Yeah. Don't know it's how that. It's dangerous. You pay rego and you pay your insurance on a motorbike the same as you do as a car. Okay, don't go, don't serve the guy on the lawnmower or the push bike. I get that, but you know, you're on a motorbike. You've paid the privilege to ride your motorbike to McDonald's. At least you could do yeah. is serve them. Every other takeaway will do it. HJ's and KFC yep. will do it. Maccas won't. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, Or because some woman went psycho and threw nuggets at them or something. I don't know. Did you see that clip on YouTube? That woman wanted the nuggets even though she didn't order them and she like climbed through the window and everything. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> America, I haven't heard of that one. I thought that was pretty cool. <clears throat> so, NBN again because the NBN's, you know, been so quiet oh, and wow. out of the news lately. Who... <laughs> We haven't had any stories at all over the last Biggest piece weeks. of crap ever invented. Um, the NBN pricing changes saw ISP shift wholesale plans from 25 meg to 12 meg. Um, That's what we need, right? Well, yeah, apparently. Um, the um, TPG and Vocus, VSCUS. Yep. The only major telcos to see a decline in 25 meg while increasing 12 meg connections. Probably because they only had like 10 meg on a 25 meg anyway. Yep. TPG was so over, over, uh, stretched that it's not funny. But, um, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission released its last quarterly wholesale market. Indicators report on Thursday show that the reported plans are in, uh, impacted by price. At the end of November, NBN announced outcome of its pricing review, which saw the addition of a 120 and a 250 25 and a 1 gigabit five. Huh? Well, 1 gigabit 50 meg. What's the. Anyway. <laughs> Allowing retailers to pull unused CBC on a national basis. Also decided to add an allowance for TPG, TCPIP headers above its. 
layer two remit. Um, the triple C is aware that Access Six shifts a large number of wholesale services twenty meg from twenty five meg to twelve meg during the quarter. Um, under MBN Co's previous wholesale pricing offers, some service providers were using twenty five meg bundled wholesale services to supply twelve meg plans to some of their retail customers. Yeah, so if the one hundred meg plans <laughs> were a third of the price, like they are in other countries. I bet a lot more people would have the hundred meg plans. Um. Yeah. The. <laughs> um. But the, this is the thing. They just said that they were supplying twelve meg plans to some of their customers at twenty as twenty five meg plans. So does that mean that they yeah. were? That does that mean that they were giving them twenty five meg for the price of twelve meg? Because if that's the case, everybody who is paying for a twelve for a twenty five meg plan is going to be pretty upset because. <laughs> but the, uh, conversely, <laughs> if they were supplying twelve megabit data to people on twenty five meg plan, well then shouldn't they be getting it? So it, no matter which way you read that statement, it's not good. <laughs> it's wrong. It's <laughs> it doesn't matter which way you look at it. There is no correct outcome for that statement to be true. <laughs> So, Oops. you know, but the other thing that got me, I mean, it, it goes on to talk about how, you know, they've connected 232 additional HFC premises and 83 FTTCs and all this other stuff. But basically, the takeaway from that is um, TPG and Vocus were face, basically screwing their customers over and now they can get away with it because there's a lower plan tier they can put people on and charge the same amount that they were charging before anyway. There you go, problem solved. I just don't understand about. how they work their tiering out. So there's an addition of a 120, a 25, a 250, 25, and a one gig 50 meg. How does that make sense in any, like, <laughs> you, what, the maths on that should make a 120, should then be a 250 what 35 and then a one gig 200 right that would make sense <laughs> they artificially limit them right it's all fiber. oh well um i mean that we know that they've been doing that for years i mean they've they've admitted to be doing to doing that i remember i called optus um back when i was on cable and i said how come you're giving me 100 meg down but you're giving me two meg up and the guy literally on the other end of the on the phone, he said, "Because we can, and you'll pay it." Yeah, <laughs> that was literally. I'll just his say, response. "Oh no, you'll run servers and mail servers and web well, servers in that's your what home, saying. and it you should buy a business plan." It, it stops torrenting and it stops all the legal downloads. And I said, "No, it stops me from being able to put a YouTube video up in less than twelve hours. That's what it stops me from doing." Yeah, <laughs> I said, "Okay, then sell me two services." I'll take two 100 two meg services, thanks. Yeah. Oh, no, you can only have one per premises. What? I said, but that's already wrong because you supply my Optus TV and that's over the cable. Yep. So I've already got two services. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, are you against making money or like what's... We don't want your damn money here. <laughs> what's the deal here? What, what am I missing? Um... Raiders in the uh, YouTube chat has just said that um, 
His NBN experience is driveways 150 metres long, so the NBN won't put a box in the house unless we pay for the retrench. <coughs> yeah, and um, there, there is quite... That happens quite a lot. Um, there's actually a clause in the NBN installation contract, if you can find it. It's a mongrel contract to navigate, but there's, a, there's basically two clauses in it that never get mentioned. The, for consumer rights one is the consumer has a right to have the nbn box placed anywhere they choose as long as it is accessible so not somewhere stupid like the shed or you know like off the back veranda of a three-story house but as long as it's an accessible location and it makes sense to have it there then you're fully entitled to tell them to put it there um and the other one is stating that basically there's an acceptable limit to how long they can run it. Um, it doesn't specific from memory, and it's been a while since I've read it. I might have to, and they may have changed this. So I'll have to go back and double check. It didn't specifically say the length from memory, but it said reasonable um, distance. Now, given that, so you can pick what you want. <laughs> well, given that, um, I believe the depending on what you're on, if you're on cable or coax so it's going to change a little bit but i know that a coax roll is 300 meters long and a cat 5 roll is 300 meters long so my thinking would be that 300 meters is the acceptable um acceptable limit for for that sort of distance you think so but i'd need to double don't quote me on that it's been as i said I haven't had to read the NBN contract for a couple of years, thankfully, because I haven't been screwed over recently, so I haven't had to memorise it and use <laughs> it against them. They hate it when you use it against the them too. Oh, sorry, sir, we can't do that. Well, actually, according to the NBN paragraph page, such and such subsection, it actually says, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I know. That's why I just told you. So guess what? <laughs> now you know. Now you can do something about it. Um, also Raiders too I don't know anybody else if you are having trouble with the video in YouTube um, I suggest switching over to the Twitch uh, stream it is the most reliable stream it's also the less latency so it's the best way to uh, experience the stream there is a Facebook and a YouTube one but Twitch is the best one just thought I'd put that in there for anybody who wishes to watch in the future and if (laughs) since Mr. T was talking about TPG $15 $15 billion merger between Australia's third and fourth largest telecommunication companies looks set to go ahead after Vodafone and TPG beat the competition watchdog in court. Hmm. There you go. What are they going to call it? TPG cancelled the Vodafone because it takes over well, everything, right? What does TPG even stand for? <laughs> Time to juggle it. <laughs> That's how I am. <laughs> There's something or other. Tony group, Peripherals right? Group. <coughs> nineteen was founded in nineteen eighty six as Tony's Peripherals Group in Good on six, you, Tony. sixty five Waterloo Road, North Ride, New South Wales. Um, and the the founder and executive chairman is named David Tech. It should be Tony. <laughs> Total Peripherals Group. Total. That's the what Tony. I said, wasn't? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Total Peripherals Group was established by Malaysian-born Australian businessman David Teo. David. Sold OEM computers. Yeah. It was like, uh, was it Gateway? Yeah. (laughs) So, but yes, that's what that stands for. So they're going to be what? 
V TPG? TPGV? I don't know. No, TPG just take puts their name on everything now. They do. That I mean, well There used to be IINet way back in the day. Yeah, but IINet's a separate entity anyway, still well, kind of. <laughs> as much as as much as they can be. Like one of That's my like friends saying... said to me recently, TPG doesn't <laughs> merge with anyone. They no. take over and assume everything. Like three. Three did that. Yeah. <laughs> they took over Orange and took over the other three and took over a few other bits and pieces. And then they're gone. And I worked for them when they were well, Orange slash three. They're still Orange, I think, um, in like England and UK. I think they've still got Orange. Well, Hutchison Telecoms Hutchison, was also yeah. known as... Yeah, well, that's where the, and, th- the three come from, wasn't it? Because wasn't it the three combined? Yep, something like that. Orange Hutchison. But I was three. I was working at um, University of Sydney, and I got a job there. And they said uh, my uh, old staff mates were like, "So where are you going to work now?" I said, "Orange." They're like, "Why the hell are you moving all the way there?" <laughs> I said, "No, the company Orange. It's at St Leonard's, just over the bridge." Oh, <laughs> we thought you were moving to Orange. Uh, like, why the hell's he going there? <clears throat> so, yeah, back to this merger. The ACCC's expressed concerns the merger between Vodafone and TPG would result in a more highly concentrated market. Well, yes, but, I mean, they're not the same market, though, are they, really? Because TPG is your budget end, um, over-promise, under-perform, like, cheap... Um, same as Dodo, same as a lot of those. You know, they're, they're, everybody knows you're going to get shafted with going with them, but if you want somebody cheap to go with, that's who you go with. If you wanted you someone know. good, you went with IINet, <coughs> and then TPG bought them, and now you don't go with IINet. Well, that's why anymore. I'm wondering that it's going to happen with Vodafone, because Vodafone, okay, isn't the best in Australia, but they're pretty decent. Like, I've been with Vodafone yep. for a few years, and I have almost the same signal that everybody who's got Telstra's got. I have actually cheaper plans, generally, with more data, um, we've got a family bundle plan that's got like eight phones on it now or something like that and <laughs> like 200 gig of data, you know, like Vodafone's pretty good. So I'm wondering if that would like bring the two ends of the market together. I don't know. That's all that Maybe that was... they'll even out something really good, something <laughs> really crappy is something slightly mediocre, but. Well, I mean, I guess the only other thing that's going to happen is TPG's going to go away effectively because that's why they're initiating this merger that you wouldn't initiate a merger if you're not in trouble and not you know if 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 you're perfectly fine and there's nothing happening and there's no reason for a merger then you wouldn't do it what if Vodafone was the one in trouble no (laughs) I can't see that happening that's the other thing too Vodafone being an international company that's you know um interesting to see what happens yeah i I don't know um don't know what'll happen there it'd be interesting i just hope if it is one of those mergers that's um how do you say like it does end up becoming a a decent proposition at the end of it you know doesn't just not benefit anybody and it makes turns out worse for everything Uh, that except for shareholders well yeah i mean (laughs) although uh, i don't know it doesn't always go according to plan either no um i've seen plenty of cases where the shareholders have been all for it and then the next thing you know they're all 
getting shafted because uh, the shares tanked because, you know, look what happened to, um, oh, was it um, IBM when they were doing the, the, uh, was it the Lon- um, ThinkPads? And then all of a sudden they, you know, Lenovo started getting the market of the uh, business, uh, a business orientated laptops and, and things like that, and they started doing the that they basically more or less in one fell swoop come in and undercut IBM. And I was at actually at working at IBM at the time when that happened. It was just uh, when, um, I thought IBM had outsourced all their stuff to Lenovo to sell the IBM ThinkPads as Lenovo they, ThinkPads. They and did, stuff. but it basically. Didn't they had to. <clears throat> yeah, that's what I mean. It was Lenovo took over the the product effectively. Right. Because it was supposed to be in IBM's best interest that that happened. IBM was going to focus. It was right when OS2 Warp was actually still popular. Um, and Netscape Navigator Gold and all this sort of stuff that wasn't Windows was happening. And they were going to... IBM was going to have... The way I understand it anyway from when I was working there for... I wasn't there for long, but... Um, they basically... They were going to have their business side of it where they are still going to manage and maintain servers and businesses and and that side of it. And then they are going to have their... Um, their consumer-grade products which were going to be... the... OS2 Warp and, and products that ran that. And so... They did, the, this business class stuff didn't really have uh, somewhere to to be, um, because all all businesses, you know, they all ran Windows. That was just what they were going to run. They were going to run Windows. They were going to run all this stuff because that's. But IBM kind of they wanted their own. They wanted to be the AB, the, the the AMD of the <laughs> you know <laughs> PC manufacturers, and so they kind of went okay. Well, let's outsource our laptops. Or it wasn't just their laptops. It was actually their business range. Right. <clears throat> so it's their ThinkPads, and I can't think what their their desktops were called at the time either. But they were like Think Think Stations or something. Think Center. Think something like that. Yeah, it was those as well. They got outsourced to Lenovo as well, and basically the the stock market effectively, or well, their shares tanked because everybody like the one thing that they were known for was making reliable and bulletproof business grade laptops and, and PCs. That's that's that was their yep. thing. And their one core thing, they outsourced to somebody else to follow these other things that may or may not have taken off and turns out they all crash and burn horribly. Yeah, OS Warp <laughs> is doing well, isn't it? Um in fact I've I'm running OS Warp right now. Yeah, it's the best operation. Looks just like Windows these days. Right. Um and yeah, so I remember Or is it the other way around? Yeah. Um and yeah, so I remember the just as I was about to leave I remember all the all the the stocks just collapsing because they the the shareholders and the management thought this was a fantastic idea, but apparently, like ninety eight percent of the rest of the world didn't. Didn't. <laughs> I know that's when it started hurting them too. They lost um, they lost contracts with the the Australian government, like they stopped supplying. Um, the Centrelink and they stopped supplying all those systems for all those, all the dumb terminals and that they used to use. They stopped supplying all those. They lost yeah. a lot of money in Australia. I don't know about the rest of the world, but I know the Australian branch of IBM lost a lot of money. 
they're doing a lot now and they're making up for it with their wonderful platform for the census. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait. Um, what about their medical health platform? No. Um, do they actually... The voting? No. What else have they done that's they're been They're all IBM, aren't they? Yeah, they're all... Well, they're not only IBM now, IBM and Amazon. <laughs> so their partnership's Whammy. doing well then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, might have to look at the, something about that, I think. Here's one you might be interested in. Hackers have manipulated multiple Tesla cars into speeding up by 50 miles an hour. Mm. Researchers fooled the car's mobile I, IQ3 camera system by subtly altering speed limit sign on the side of the road in a way that a person driving by would almost never notice. This demonstration from cybersecurity firm McAfee is the latest indication that adversarial machine learning can potentially wreck autonomous driving systems, presenting a security challenge to those hoping to commercialize the technology. Mobileye IQ3 camera systems read speed limit signs and feed the information into autonomous driving features like Tesla's automatic cruise control, said Steve Pavolny and Shivangi Trivedi from McAfee's advanced threat research team. Researchers stuck a tiny and nearly imperceptible sticker on a speed limit sign. The camera read the sign as 85 instead of 35, and in testing, both the 2016 Tesla Model X and that year's Model S sped up by 50 miles an hour. This is the latest and increasing mountain of research showing how machine learning systems can be attacked and fooled in life-threatening situations. In an 18-month-long research process, Trevity and Pavolny replicated and expanded upon a host of adversarial machine learning attacks, including a study from UC Berkeley professor Dawn Song that used stickers to trick a self-driving car into believing a stop sign was a 45 mile an hour side limit. Last year, hackers tricked a Tesla into veering into the wrong lane in traffic by placing stickers on the road in an adversarial attack meant to manipulate the car's machine learning algorithms. Tesla has since moved to proprietary cameras on newer models and Mobile Eye IQ3 has released several new versions of its cameras that in preliminary testing were not susceptible to this attack. There is still a sizable number of Tesla cars operating with the vulnerable hardware. He pointed out that Teslas with the first version of hardware cannot be upgraded to the newer hardware. What we're trying to do is we're really trying to raise the awareness for both consumers and vendors of the types of flaws that are possible. We're not trying to spread fear and say that if you drive this car, it will accelerate through a barrier or to sensationalize it that we got in the news. So, yay. Yeah, look, I, there's so many points to this story that are borderline. So, they don't read, whilst they do have um, support for. Sorry, I just got distracted because the uh, Facebook stream, the um, YouTube stream just went, no, I'm done. <laughs> um, <coughs> the, in normal situations, they have um, the ability to... They, they, they sort of look at the street speed signs, but it's not something they, they really do. Um, they well, it's like the, the cars already know what the speed should be in that area. I've only got Waze, and you drive along, and Waze tells you what the speed zone changes are so that's and what, what it should say. be. And they're not going to go, well, 
my internal map says it should be 50, but that sign says 100, so let's go! Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Like, yes, they do look at speed signs, but they have, obviously, preset maps. They have GPS. They have live data. They have all these other sensors as well. They have traffic monitoring sensors as well. So, in a closed course, under ideal conditions, can it be done? Yes. In the real world, on an actual street with real other cars around, not really. Um, <laughs> mainly because that's the thing with other cars around. The Tesla won't accelerate. It will. It will. The collision detection will kick in. That will stop it from happening. Um, and surely it would also the, be monitoring what the speeds the other cars are doing if there's a consensus that all the other cars are doing 35 and the sign says to go 85 you're going to go well no and and also if the like it uses all these other sensors to know where where it is and and if you've got autopilot on um for a major speed variation that's not in its system it's going to ask you for confirmation anyway. So, I don't Makes know. It, it's always one of those It's like when Volvo was doing the crash avoidance thing years ago. They were one of the first to do it. Um, and they had it set up so that, you know, ideally it wouldn't run into the vehicle in front. It would be able to detect it and whatever. Now, it took them a long time to bring that out. But enclosed, I mean, this, this is basically the exact opposite, though. Enclosed, controlled environment for testing, it basically always worked. The second yep. they put it out in the public road where there's so many variables and so many things causing havoc, it hardly ever worked. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the Tesla's the exact opposite. The more input it has and the more data it has available to it with other vehicles and operators and and gps locations and pre-existing speed limits and all this other stuff that it has um it's going to know what's going on around it far better than um in a closed environment where it basically is told this is your the only thing you can see yeah you know so I don't know. Well, it's a proof of... Well, it's sort of not relevant anyway because anything from 2000 and... Whatever it was, 2017 or 2018 onwards doesn't use that technology anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know. Um, you still keep your wits about you, keep an eye on what you think the sign should be and you could put your foot on the brake, I'm pretty sure. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, if you... Yeah, exactly. But that's it. Like if you got, it's not like you said autopilot, and then have a nap and read or read a book. Okay, just well, tell me when I get there. The problem is they do because because the Tesla self-driving system is so good at what it does. People do sit back and have a coffee and have a sleep, and the amount of times you see videos pop up on YouTube of of people sleeping and people not paying attention, yeah, is ridiculous because it, it is so good at what it does, and and because it's so good at what it does this isn't going to trick it in the real world. It might, yeah. even if it does, let's assume for whatever reason it's a 35 speed limit and becomes 50, well, it sees it as 85. It's only going to do that for the first, you know, 
let's say, 30 seconds until it comes across either a corner that it knows it needs to navigate and it's got to slow down for anyway. Uh, it comes across a next speed sign, which hasn't been tampered with. It comes across a car in front of it that's going to slow down for because these are going to be resident, like residential signs anyway. Yep. So it, it's the, it's the typical mindset of, of let's poke as many holes as we can so that... Um, it's a new story. Well, yeah, it does. But you, I always wonder who's funding these. Like, like they said McAfee did it. But McAfee, off their own bat, isn't going to have a reason to do this. It has yeah. nothing to do with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've like, seen videos of John McAfee. He doesn't even know what planet he's on. <laughs> you wouldn't even know what Tesla was. <laughs> um, but that's what I mean. Like, it, it, it's, you know, who's who's said, hey, he, McAfee, here's, here's $5 million. Go and make a Tesla speed up for us, will you? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not something they're going to do. Um, off the back of, uh, by themselves, it, it, it's it's not. It's just not something they need to be worried. They've got enough going on. Yeah. <coughs> I don't know. What you got for us? So, oh, well, until I just close that tab. Didn't you it. say you're doing the thing so you couldn't close tabs no, anymore? No, yeah, no, I did the thing so I couldn't close the tabs on the live stream. I didn't say anything about closing my news stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the one thing I was going to talk about was the death of Holden. It's official now. Um, and the implications. They said it's too tricky to keep doing right-handed cars, so we won't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, all the cars we import are all left-handed. We've got to swap them over, and it's costing us too much. Australia's <laughs> going to have to flip and drive left-handed cars on the other side of the road. You know, there was a te- there was a country I can't remember where it was. It was one of the little. I was reading that to islands. Dad the other day. They did a swap over in 1965. Yeah, this guy just the the ruler or president or whatever it was to this little town woke up one morning and goes nah that's it we're all driving on the side of the road now (laughs) (laughs) but they're all like driving left-handed drive or right-hand drive cars on like the right-hand side of the road so they're all driving on the actually driving on the wrong side of the road (laughs) but yeah so we all know that in um was it 2013 or whatever it was they decided they're not going to well, they're going to start wrapping up production. I think it's 2017 when they actually wrapped up production. But um, it came out early this week that they're actually closing their business entirely. So that's to the point now where they're not even importing vehicles anymore. They're just like, they're done. They're, um, they, they've, they've been... Holden and General Motors were always separate up until recently. You had General Motors... Um, GMC, which was General Motors Chevrolet, and then you had GMH, which was General Motors Holden, and and they were effectively two separate um, companies, basically. Um, but it was a couple of years ago. I can't remember exactly when it was. GMC got back involved with them again and basically effectively took them back over. Um, yeah, they've been around for 72 years. I mean, uh, there's no no. Everybody knows it's the government's fault. They basically shut down the government, made it to the point where it's impossible to produce anything in this country. So it was always going to happen. And they um, still want to keep the luxury car tax, even though nobody can import anything to compete with Australian stuff because there's nothing to compete with anymore. Yeah, exactly. That's, but we're making so much money from the luxury car tax. We don't want you to exactly have the right. cars. We want the money. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, so it's about 600, um, that's 600 people out by June and the rest will go by the end of the year. The only good thing that's going to come out of this, and the reason I mention it, um, if you are looking for a new car, now's the time to go buy it because there is absolutely insane discounts on Holden's at the moment. Um, they, um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think it was 17000 or something off a Colorado. Like, it's massive, yeah. massive money off at the moment. So, that's it's definitely a time to do it. But my only concern is um, if you do buy a new car now and it's got a, whatever they've got, a three-year or five-year warranty, whatever they run on them now, um, what's going to be the deal with spare parts? Like in two years' time, if you need a, you know, like a new motor or something, what's the availability going to be like on a lot of stuff? We can ship that over from the UK in about six weeks. Yeah. That's it. So uh, not not sure there. Um, <laughs> Rattler Daddler on uh, must be watching on the uh, Facebook stream. Just saying that they've just finished, and I was about to say this. They've just finished tooling up for the right hand drive twenty twenty um, C eight Corvettes that we, they were going to release to Australia and New Zealand market. Um, uh-huh. That's why I found weird too. They've just spent all this money on tooling and and redesigning the uh, layout of the you know, the factory effectively to, to start doing. Um, Wasn't it Joe Hockey in Parliament said when GM said we'll pull out of Australia, he says, yeah, I triple dare you, man. Go yeah, on, do it. And they're like, much. okay. <laughs> now he's like, um, <coughs> didn't expect that to happen, did I? So, I know, it's funny that, um, it's funny that on Twitter, um, Ford, Ford Australia, <laughs> sent out a tweet which I think it, it, it's just it's so tongue in cheek all of us here at Ford Australia are saddened to hear the news that Holden will cease operation Holden is an iconic brand that holds special place in the heart of many Australians and has done so much to straight the Australian automotive industry in the country that's part one part two its vehicles have been worthy competitors both on the road and on the racetrack to our friends at Holden thank you for keeping us on our toes and inspiring us to keep aiming higher we'll miss you so for anybody who's not <laughs> familiar there's a always has been Holden versus Ford um, rivalry. <laughs> yep. And like that second verse for me, like it's it's very tongue-in-cheek. Like you've been worthy competitors, you know, and, <laughs> and you know, on the racetrack that we, we we beat you a lot of the time. Like it's it's like almost a compliment, but just not quite. <laughs> Maybe they didn't <laughs> mean it. Like, they may not have meant it like that, but to me that's just the way it comes across, which I think is funny. Right. I think that's that's I think that's exactly how they meant it. Um, and yeah, as, as you said, um, uh, rattle, rattle, the Holden are committed for the next 10 years for after sales service. I know that's what they've said, but I, I don't necessarily, uh, I, not that I don't agree with that, but I think they're going to make it very difficult for that to be a thing after the next three or four, 10. I mean, that as it is, they don't keep stuff for, for 10 years. Um, yeah it's almost impossible, you know, it's almost impossible to get 10-year-old OEM parts out of Holden now. And so I remember working for Zups, um, which is predominantly Holden, um, working for their warehouse in Brisbane up here. And we were throwing out anything that hadn't moved after two years. If it's sitting in the warehouse and hasn't been sold, it'd go and get destroyed. 
Ah. You know, and I'm talking brand new, you know, and this happened every three months. They culled the stock that had been sitting for two years. And we're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars every every couple of months would be thrown out. Um, everything from motors to actual full sides of vehicles to walk and shore components that have been manufactured and not used to HSV stuff through um, limited edition stuff that hadn't sold. You know, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, which to me is probably part of the reason they went broke, to be honest. Yep. <laughs> um, but it's kind of sad. I, you know, in the Holden versus Ford camp, I've always been a Holden guy. Um, not that they're a fantastic vehicle, but generally they've just been better than Fords. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and that's only been true up until sort of the early 90s. Once you hit mid-90s, they're both as bad as each other, to be honest. Um, yep. But, you know, I've, I've had a lot of Holdens. I had the Gemini, I had a VL Commodore, I've had or two VL Commodores, three VL Commodores. I've had a VK, I've had um, Jack Roo, you know, I've had a lot of a lot of Holdens throughout the years. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be sad, it's going to be missed. It'll be interesting to see what what's going to replace it, especially now that EVs are taking such a big chunk out of the market um, in some countries. They're the largest selling vehicle at the moment. And apparently and, uh, um, the Great Wall is making a big push into Australia. Then, yeah. I mean, as far as Chinese vehicles go, <coughs> they're not one of the higher quality ones. <laughs> there are better ones. There's the Sanyongs, which are better than the Great Walls. There's the, um, the oh, I've got a complete blank. The, the one that I really like, I've got a complete blank and I can't think what it's called. Thanks. Wow. But anyway, yeah, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of vehicles coming in. Um, I mean, let's face it. It has Holden hasn't sold an actual Holden since, you know, for what five or six years now. So, since they've actually had a an actual Holden, so yeah. Yeah. Well, really, the last Holden Holden with the actual Holden produced motor, I think, was the five liter, like I want to say like VN or VP, something like that Commodore. So it's been twenty years. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, but anyway. Here's something you'll like. Mozilla now has a virtual private network service. And if you have a Chromebook, a Windows 10 computer, or an Android device in the US, you can start using a beta version now. Called Firefox Private Network, the new service is designed to function as a full device VPN and give better protection when surfing the web or when using public Wi-Fi networks. The company offers two options, a free browser extension version, which it launched in beta last year, that provides 12 one-hour VPN passes when using the Firefox browser and a Firefox account. And a second $4.99 a month option that provides more complete VPN service across your whole device. The new paid option, which runs off servers provided by Swedish open source VPN company Molvard, can protect up to five devices with one account. It allows for faster browsing and streaming and gives you the ability to tap into servers located in 30 plus countries for masking your location data. Works on Windows 10, Android and Chromebooks with Mozilla touting that iOS is coming soon. Support for Mac, Linux and additional countries are also in the works. According to Mozilla, the premium option won't monitor or log any user data. The company's free version, which is provided by Cloudflare, however, temporarily logs unidentified browsing history and deletes this data within 24 hours as a mechanism to detect and handle abuse on the network. Mozilla does add that neither Firefox nor Cloudflare is able to associate usage with users as each party holds partial aspects of this data which are never joined. 
The move is a much needed step up in security, especially for those who travel. Whereas an incognito mode can delete your web history, those looking to prevent trackers from their internet provider and add an extra layer of protection when using open networks should use a VPN. If you want to try out the browser level protection, you could do so today with the Firefox browser extension. The premium option has a wait list for those looking to join, but is accepting new submissions. Oprah's always had it, haven't they? Well, we've had it for the last couple of years and it's been, and it's free. Yeah. Um, and it's actually quite fast. I, I use it quite a lot. As I mean, I do have NordVPN um, yep. that I'll use uh, system-wide or I'll use on my NAS or i use on other stuff. Yeah. But just for a quick jump in, get something done, you know, and here's something else that i read on twitter this week this guy was downloading a software update for his computer i don't know if it was for a game or something else and it was coming in at quite a low speed so he turned on his vpn to say that he was in america and suddenly he got like 10 to 20 times the speed for downloads Uh, it's it's no real surprise that aussie um isps are blocking a lot of or blocking or limiting a lot of um, downloads that's been happening for a while um, some of them even tell you they're doing it <laughs> Tel- <laughs> Telstra Optus uh, te- um, uh, another one I can't think of but Telstra and Optus have come out on several occasions and said yes we watch what you're doing and you know we're going to throw we're going to slow your speed down if we don't think if we don't like what you're doing you know even if it's just normal gaming updates <laughs> so yeah it's um I know there was an issue with one of the massive Windows updates, the one where it did the um, the local downloads so other people could like use the same file. Oh, yeah. Um, because so many people share the same IP address with the ways that the ISP set up their internet, you can have 100 people on the same address. So this the servers were seeing this traffic being hit and because they're technically peer sharing this file even though they're in the middle of downloading it i know it was causing all sorts of hassles with with um restrictions and stuff like that yeah <coughs> it can also be a browser thing too like I've, I've just for fun tried downloading um i can't remember what it was it was something it was um wasn't it was oh, off the good old games website it was something like that anyway okay, abandonware maybe yeah but it was, i downloaded it on um just because i was curious i downloaded it on chrome firefox uh opera and internet explorer um edge and chrome and um no no internet explorer it was back when that was a thing <laughs> Um, Chrome and Opera, I think, actually downloaded the fastest. And uh, Internet Explorer was, of course, the slowest. But it was just interesting that just the browser th- throughput was different. You would think that with the same internet connection, the same speed, the same... Protocol. S- everything, effectively, that the same file would download at the same speed. Yeah. But it turned out... In fact, it should be faster by the time you got to IE because the others will be cached. Well, yeah. On the ISP's um, proxy. Well, you'd think so. But it, it seemed that for whatever reason, Chrome... Yeah, Chrome was, was the fastest and Opera was pretty fast. That's when I started using Opera for VPN. 
I switched the VPN on there and it was quicker again. That might have um, been what happened. I know there was one stage when Internet Explorer would ignore cache data and request it from the actual site. So the others probably got it from the local cache, whereas Internet Explorer is like, nope, I'm going to get it from way overseas where it is. It would make sense if that's what happened because it was, yeah, it was noticeably slower. Yeah. So that that would make sense if that was the case. Yeah, if there wasn't a local copy available. And that's... But then that wouldn't make sense because when I used the VPN through Opera and it was still as fast as Chrome, it wouldn't have uh, got it off the local server because it doesn't know it's got a local server. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's just... What's going on there? I think it's something to do with the way they treat compatibility. Like if you try to use the Foxtel Go app on anything other than... Um, I think it's. I think now it finally supports Chrome as well, but it used to only support Internet Explorer. And yep. if you wanted to use any other version, you would have to use the developer um, tools, and you'd go in. You'd go into your. I wonder if I can even remember how to do it. Go into your settings. No, it's page tools or something. It wasn't I? Can't remember now. But yeah, you'd have to go into developer mode and change the settings and make it think it was a different browser. And I reached out to support one and I said, well, this clearly works in these other browsers. Why why do you not enable it by default? Why do I have to go through and change it all the time? Because yeah. my media center at the time was running Linux, so it was <coughs> defaulting to uh, Firefox. And they're like, oh, we don't support those other browsers officially because um, we can't track them. Yeah. <laughs> so that was how they're too secure. That's your problem. So Foxtel Go, because you know how you're only allowed to have <laughs> you know two simultaneous connections or whatever it was. So apparently, in the Explorer at the time was the only browser that would allow them to track that sort of information. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why they didn't officially support anything else because they couldn't track it. Well, uh, it loud. And. Uh, uh, yes, Redditor, you're correct. I think Larry Perkins VP was the last uh, Holden Holden. Um, I specifically remember he had a very famous quote saying that the day he's forced to go to a Chevy engine was the day he retired, and guess what happened? He was also the last competitor to run a carburetor, a carburetor as well, I believe. Anyway. <coughs> um, Any last story for you? Oh, uh, look, there's so much random stuff. Oh, there's a... Um, that's what I was going to... That's one of the tabs I closed by accident. There's a new machine learning um, website and it does... It makes up like news headlines. Uh, so you give it little bits of data. I wonder if I can quickly find it uh, while, I'm, uh, while I'm talking about it. And you would give it, say, the first three or four words. So you'd say like... Um, you know, um, you give it some keywords like, you know, man, you know, snake, um, swimming pool, and it would create a news story based on these keywords that you would give it. Um, I don't know how to find it. I just Talk to transformer.com. Is that it, maybe? Not sure. Um, but I thought it was. It says you can write stories, poems, news articles, and more. Using talktotransformer.com. Um, uh, uh, what's this? What's this stupid? 
Grace still plays. Is the YouTuber that I know who showed it off the other day. Uh, I'll quickly see if I can find it while I'm talking. But it's interesting because it, it it does two things. One, it gives us a fun outlet. All right, so we're um, checking out that, the only game that. Oh, <laughs> stupid autoplay. What? <laughs> um, but what it actually um is used for at when their end is it's actually used to um help the machine learn uh it's called sky news <laughs> yeah well it might as well be um but what it actually does news. is while you're um talk to transformer yeah that's the one while you're entering information into it to uh, have fun with it it's effectively learning the, the human condition it's learning how humans you know do things and write things and create things there's um, another one that you can pay for called aiwriter.com one submit a headline choose a topical headline send it to our article writing software wait a minute and save valuable time the best article writing software out there does its job and it'll be drafted and ready to make into something perfect. <laughs> um, so let me just see if I can quickly grab something here. So let's do... Um, all right, there's the page there. So let's go... So I want to go... I don't know. Florida man... Um, selfie... Squirrel. <laughs> because... Why not? Well, that's more like Squirtle rather than Squirrel. Let's try that again. <laughs> Squirtle's uh, good. <laughs> My favourite soda. So we'll do complete text, and then it'll it'll write an article based on based on the information you get in there. Florida man, selfish squirrel. One of the community's biggest nicknames has always been the bull, even when presented with terrible po photographs of him. The folks at New Jersey Council of the Blind donated pictures of a local man who was photographed sitting in a wheelchair while wearing a bullseye cowboy hat as <laughs> if he'd just come from a radio. Some of a, some also known for his bulldog obsession, New Jersey man Marino Diaz is part of the community, a.k.a. white trash, but he's not the only one. <laughs> An old trolley dolly movie monster guy is always enough said, however the internet has taught us anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if, if you want to have some fun I, I caught myself playing on this for ages the other night it's called yeah talktotransformer.com and uh, you can go there and have a lot of fun with that uh, it's a good way to understand machine learning as well so have fun there and uh, yeah so whoops that's let me change camera so it's not there anymore <laughs> Uh, it's not necessarily safe for work either. Just don't use uh, text to voice and you'll be fine. <coughs> if any of you don't already know the collective noun for progressive dudes, it's the smoothest, as in the space of Australia. A good summary by True Blue and Aspects with this Cook Alexander is a geriatric bootleg MC from Darwin, Australia, who never wanted to ever leave the house with anything he could touch. If you've ever been to a hip-hop heavy metal, new age, Euro trash, goth, indie music show in Australia, <laughs> you've probably seen them. Doubt it? Ask Scott Alexander on 20th, 20th August 2015 when Drake and Future's DJ performance brought the house down. 
Could they I, add, add my in? my words were Aussie tech heads party and chicken. <laughs> Could they add any more um any more levels to that Oz, rave hip hop trance <laughs> whatever it was. Oh dear. So, uh, my final one, Larry Tesla, a computer scientist who created the terms cut, copy, and paste, has passed away at the age of 74. Born in 1945 in New York, Tesla went on to study computer science at Stanford University, and after graduating, he dabbled in artificial intelligence research long before it became a deeply concerning tool, such as what Mr. Teachers did, <laughs> and became involved in the anti-war and anti-corporate monopoly movements, which companies like IBM as one of his deserving targets. In 1973, Tesla took a job at Xerox Palo Alto Research Center, Park, where he worked until 1980. Xerox Park is famously known for developing the mouse-driven graphical user interface we all now take for granted. And during his time at the lab, Tesla worked with Tim Mott to create a word processor called Gypsy, as best known for coining the terms cut, copy, and paste when it comes to commands for removing, duplicating, or repositioning chunks of text. Xerox Park is also well known for not capitalizing on the groundbreaking research it did in terms of personal computing. So in 1980, Tesla transitioned to Apple Computer, where he worked until 1997. Over the years, he held countless positions at the company, including Price. Vice President of AppleNet, Apple's in-house local area network system that was eventually cancelled, and have even served as Apple's chief scientist, a position that one time was held by Steve Wozniak before eventually leaving the company. In addition to his contribution to some of Apple's most famous hardware, Tesla was also known for his efforts to make software and user interfaces more accessible. In addition to the now ubiquitous cut, copy, and paste terminologies, Tesla was also an advocate for an approach to UE design known as modeless computing, which is reflected in the personal website. In essence, it ensures that user actions remain consistent throughout an operating system's varied functions and apps. When they've opened a word processor, for instance, users now just automatically assume that hitting any of the alphanumeric keys on the keyboard will result in that character showing up on the screen at the cursor's insertion point. But there was a time when word processors could be switched between multiple modes where typing on the keyboard would either add characters to a document or alternatively allow function commands to be entered. We could all function keys. Fail Larry Tesla. Genius. This is their uh, commercial. They just, the uh, Xerox, Xerox Park Office Alto commercial. Ah, <laughs> nice. They decided that they're going to have all their monitors that way for whatever reason. <laughs> I don't know why, but uh, oops! Oh, now I've done it. What? It's all broken. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, <laughs> thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Heads show broadcast weekly. We can be found at facebook.com/slash Aussie Tech Heads, twitter.com/slash Aussie Tech Heads, and youtube.com/slash Aussie Tech Heads. You can email us, Glenn, Will, or Warlock at aussietechheads.com.au, and you can hear Aussie Tech Heads on aussietechradio.com, 24-7 back-to-back play of some of the best tech-related shows from around Australia and New Zealand. New shows are added each Friday. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again next time. See you later, guys. Bye.